books on leadership that I've read over the years. And as I've read some of those books, I'm amazed at how often they have Christian principles in them. And I would say probably the rage of the last two decades in leadership books, secular leadership books, has been servant leadership. That's certainly a biblical concept. Jesus was a servant leader. Paul was a servant leader. As we're going through the book of Ephesians, Paul just had been talking about unity, how how God brought the Jews and Gentiles together as one in his church. But now at this part of his letter, he gets personal. So let's read that section. Ephesians 3, 1 through 13. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, Assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets By the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power to me, though I am the very least of all the saints. This grace was given. To preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose That he has realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Now, if you had your Bibles open in my Bible, after verse one, there's a dash. He begins verse one for this reason. Then he begins verse 14 for this reason. So everything in between that is a parenthesis. Paul digresses. He'll pick up at the end of chapter two when he gets to verse 14 again. But for now, he just is led by the spirit to share about himself. It's the most personal section of the letter. And he calls himself in this section three things. And these three things, I think, are a wonderful job description for any leader, but also for any Christian. What are those three things? The first thing is he calls himself a prisoner. Verse one, the book of Acts is the history of the early church, and it features Peter and Paul. It describes Paul's conversion and his ministry, but also his arrest And how he appealed to Caesar as a Roman citizen and then was sent to Rome where he awaited trial in jail. And he wrote several letters from jail, including the letter that we're going through. 
the letter to the Ephesians. And he calls himself the prisoner of Christ Jesus. And that really struck me. I would think he would have thought in his mind and said, I'm the prisoner of Rome. I'm the prisoner of Caesar and the Roman Empire. Or I'm a prisoner because the jealous Jews turned me in. But he doesn't say that at all. He doesn't blame them at all. He realizes this is God's purpose. Romans 8:28, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Paul wrote that. And he's writing that and thinking that as a prisoner of Christ. That's who he is. That's how he sees himself. That defines his mission. Whatever your life mission is, guides your life. It informs your decisions. It's like the gauges on an airplane. It's how a pilot can fly in dense fog. It's his instrument panel. So this thought guided Paul. It gave him perspective. He could have been miserable. I would have been miserable, frustrated and complaining all the time. I'm stuck here in jail. I can't travel anymore. I can't preach to different audiences. Why would God allow that for my life? But he was positive and he made the best of his situation. In a fellow church in Philippians, Chapter 1, verses 12 to 14, he says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Beat in jail. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, you think it would work just the opposite? But it didn't are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So he's happy about that. Man, people are now inspired to go out there and preach Christ because I'm stuck here in jail. And notice he has a new audience, the Imperial Guard, Caesar's very own bodyguards, as you will. He has a captive audience. These people that he's chained to. These are people of influence. They have an ear to Caesar. And he's right there with them, sharing the gospel with these people. So what about you? Do you ever complain about your situation? I'll tell you, I have. But if we could only see it as a new possibility, maybe not what we would have thought we wanted. Maybe we might respond differently. We might see that, hey, I can still be used by God. I'm still useful to God. We can submit to his will because we know that God only allows what's best for us. Christopher Wren was the architect who designed St. Paul's Cathedral in London in 1675, I think. And a reporter interviewed some of the workers and they asked, what do you do on this cathedral? And one says, I chisel stone. And another said, I work for 13 cents an hour. And another worker said, Christopher Wren and I are building a great cathedral for God. So which worker are you? Is daily life routine and drudgery and mundane? You're just plodding along your job, making chump change. Or 
Are you there as a part of God's plan, his purpose, his work, something bigger than yourself? It's your choice how you're going to look at life. The problem is we like to be in control. And Paul wasn't in control. He was under house arrest for two years. Basically, all he could do was write letters. And he did with gusto. He encouraged those other believers with his letters. He said, I'm a prisoner of Christ on behalf of you Gentiles. And he didn't say that to make them feel bad because he was happy knowing that this is my call and purpose right now for my life. In Acts 9, 15 to 16, right at the very beginning where God was calling Paul into ministry, it says, but the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Paul knew. He knew ahead of time he was going to suffer for Christ. He made peace with his lot in life. I encourage you to be positive about your circumstances, to try to see it from God's perspective. You are not a prisoner of your circumstances. You're a prisoner for Christ. And you know what, folks, that really could be our literal reality someday. I think we in America should prepare for that possibility. May not happen in our lifetime, but I think it could. Paul also said this in the book of Philippians chapter one, for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. So Paul says, I'm a prisoner for Christ. What's the second description of a leader or a Christian? A steward. A steward. That, that's the, the ESV word in verse 2. And it's an interesting Greek word. Combination of two words. Oikos, which means house. And nomos, which means law. House law. A steward, a manager, an administrator. Usually a slave was the steward or manager of the household. Think of Joseph in Genesis 37 as a slave. He was Potiphar's house steward. He oversaw his master's finances, affairs and children. It was a big responsibility. You know, a slave didn't own anything himself, but he managed all that his master had all his resources. And you know what? That's us. That's a good description of us. Our time, our talents, our treasures have been given to us by God to manage for him. They're God's. We just manage them. So what did Paul manage? He says the mystery, not a Sherlock Holmes type of mystery, but it means a revealed secret, something that was hidden in the past unveiled now which is God's love for all people. Paul was shown that it was revealed to him that the church comprised of Gentiles and Jews would be a new thing. Never had existed before. And Paul was privy to it. And I think he was amazed that God would reveal such a great mystery to him. The church's number one enemy became its spokesman. 
He was a spokesman of grace. Wow, that's a message that is so needed now. People out there are trying to find God, find meaning and purpose in this terrible, darkening world. And people out there have wrong views about God. They don't know God. We know him. We know what he's really like. A God of love and grace and mercy and forgiveness. So we have a message we could tell. Our job is to live and speak the truth of God's love and grace to a world that so desperately needs to hear it. Look at verse 6. Paul kind of spells that out. And the NIV translates the word together three times. Heirs together, members together, sharers together. That's in the NIV. In other words, everyone's included. We're all equal in Christ. Everyone gets a fair shot to hear and respond to this good news of grace. If you looked around this morning, you would see... You're not better than anyone else in here. You're not worse than anyone else in here. You're just different. Different gifts and life experiences, but you've been made into one. The ESV says we're fellow heirs together. We're in the same family. We're really brothers and sisters. So why would we hate on our brother or sister? How could there be a place for racism? In the church of Jesus Christ, we're also members of the same body. Let's say I'm hammering and I hit my finger with a hammer really hard. No big deal, right? I have nine other fingers. No, it is a big deal. And you notice that your whole body is going to get involved. Your mouth is going to yell. Hopefully nothing too profane. And your other hand is going to grab that finger and hold on to it. And your legs are probably going to jump up and down. See, if one member of the body suffers, we all suffer. If one member is rejoicing, we all can rejoice. And Paul says we're partakers of the promise. We've been all given the same promises in Christ, the same resources in our heavenly bank account. And we're sharers The NIV puts it shares together of those things. And we can do that with our material possessions, too. If someone's in need, we come alongside and help them. Acts 432. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. It's a beautiful thing. I want to commend our food ministry to you. If you're fairly new to our church and you've never seen that in operation, you don't know what goes on in this church. People picking up food throughout the week and bringing it to this location and then serving our community every Tuesday night. It's a big operation. Pastor Charles, thanks for all your work with that. Come out on some Tuesday night at six o'clock and just see that. Okay, the third thing Paul calls himself is a minister. He calls himself that in verse seven. Another word for it is a servant of the gospel. So don't just think minister like the paid professionals. All right. Think broader than that. And he mentions several tools in his arsenal as a minister. Grace. He shares and preaches the gift of God's grace. I found that Christians look at themselves usually one of two ways. Either they're never good enough kind of to earn or deserve God's grace, or they're proud. 
And grace balances the two. It's not about you. It's about God's grace to you. Undeserved, but he loves you and he lavishes his grace on you. Paul also says as a minister, I minister God's power. He says the working of his power. Working is our word for energy. Power is our word for dynamite. Not our own power. We don't have dynamite power. But resurrection power. It said in Ephesians 1 is ours. God is the source of the power. We're weak in our own strength, but we're strong in God's strength. God's power working through his ministers and servants will accomplish great things for God. I think the church's best days are yet to come. And another thing Paul ministered was humility. He calls himself in verse eight, the very least of all the saints. And I've noticed an interesting progression in Paul's writings. I want to share that with you. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 15, 9. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. He, he wrote that in 55 A.D. Now we have our verse here in Ephesians 3, 8. I'm the least of all the saints. He wrote that in 60. A.D. Now, let's read 1 Timothy 1.15. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. I'm the worst sinner. He said that in 65 A.D., just before his death. So the older, the more mature, the wiser we become, the more humble we should be. And Paul genuinely felt that way. He, he wasn't faking it. This wasn't fake humility. He recognized God at work in him. It was really all God. It was God's strength. And it's the same for us. Humility is a really tricky thing. We, like I said, we either put ourselves down too much and maybe think that's humility. That's false humility and wrong. Or we think we're so humble. Let me tell you, you're not. Humility is elusive. God uses you and he gets the credit. And that's how it should be. Paul's servant heart went out for the Gentiles because he was called to minister to them. He wanted Christ to be made known among them. That's what he lived for. But then he adds something else in verse 10 that's really interesting. He wants God's grace to be known somewhere else. He says God wants to use the church to make his wisdom known to the rulers and authorities. Now, you might think, well, that's what the Roman authorities and the governors and the leaders, but it's not. Do you see that in verse 10? Rulers and authorities in the heavens. Who are they? Angels. Good and bad angels. Do you know that good angels are curious about the work of the church? First Peter 1.12, it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. And bad angels can't receive grace, so we show them by our life how merciful God's been to us. It's a powerful concept. I think we rarely ever think about it. But angels 
are watching you. When you sin, they're glad. They're the bad angels. They're the good angels. When you sin, the good angels are sad. When you serve and love God, they cheer. When you sin, the demons are glad. That's what they want. And it kills them when you love God and serve others and live a holy life. Verse 10, Paul calls this the manifold wisdom. That word manifold means many colored, like Joseph's coat of many colors. It meets every need. That many colored made me think of a stained glass window with all its different designs and colors. It's when the light shines through it that it's so beautiful. And I think that's an illustration for what the church, what you and I collectively together are supposed to be. This beautiful picture shining forth to both men and angels of God's great grace. A couple more things about Paul, the minister or servant. In verse 12, he says we have access to God with confidence. We can approach God. Hebrews 4:16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We have good news to tell everyone. You can come to God. We can come to God. A servant may have been too timid or afraid to approach his or her master, but we can have confidence because ours, Jesus, is loving and kind. Come to him. Tell him anything. And then in closing, in verse 13, Paul doesn't want them to lose heart or be discouraged. They know he's in jail. They're bummed that he can't come to them and and teach and share with them. He doesn't want them to be sad. He's focused on them and their well-being. He cares for them. That's obvious here. He loves them. And for the minister, the servant of Christ, we love those that we minister to. Christians are prisoners of Christ. We've given over our own personal agendas to him. Christians are managers of God's grace. It's not our talents. It's his. We live for another. And Christians are ministers or servants. Our focus is on helping others until Christ returns. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for Paul being so personal here in this letter of sharing what he thinks about himself and who he is. And that can help us define our life and how we can think of our life as a Christian. I pray that we will do some meditating on this beautiful portion of your word and of this letter. And Lord, would you change our thinking to realize who we are in Christ? And Lord, may you be glorified in everything that is said and done through our lives. And that people will come to know Jesus. It's in his name I pray. Amen. Let's stand. Thank you.